Welcome to the Website Coach Podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs and small business owners that want a winning website, one that attracts more visitors and helps them book more clients. I'm Marie Brown, a website designer and business strategist, and I'll be sharing simple and actionable tips to help you create a winning website. So let's get started. Hello, welcome to the Website Coach Podcast. This week's episode, I'm talking about some business books that I've been reading. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am not a big reader of books, fiction or nonfiction. I much prefer podcasts. They fit into my lifestyle. I can listen when I walk my dog, Barney, when I'm tackling the never-ending laundry mountain, or in the car. I must admit, though, I have to be on my own. My family do not share my love of podcasts. Books require more of a commitment. You can't multitask when you're reading a book. And business books often require a level of concentration I just do not have at the end of the day. However, I know there are some great business books that I've been missing out on as a result. Some I've even started reading before, but never quite got around to finishing. Do you ever get that? (laughs) So I resolved that August would be book reading month. I aimed to find time every day, no, I didn't manage that, to read a bit, reading more when I was away from home. And given that our planned Canadian road trip was cancelled by COVID, a more relaxing trip to Croatia meant that I had plenty of opportunity to lounge and indeed read. How did I do? Well, I managed to complete six books. Some you might have heard of, but there are others you may not have done. And here are my thoughts on all of them. By the way, I'm linking all of these in the show notes to my Amazon account if you want to purchase any. But I would encourage you to support your local bookshop rather than Amazon if you can. Personally, I have a local bookshop at Seven Oaks Bookshop, although I recognise that we're very lucky to have an independent bookshop in Seven Oaks and such a brilliant one at that. But please do support the independent bookshops rather than Amazon if you can. Right, rant over. (laughs) So the first book I started with is This is Marketing by Seth Godin. I started with a classic marketing book. It's one I'd not read before. Um, And I was surprised to find I didn't actually learn anything new. He talks about all the things I believe in. Now, I'm no marketing genius like Seth Godin. I suspect it's because all the other gurus that I have been following and learning from also learned from him or other disciples of him. But I still enjoyed reading this book. There were a lot of stories in it and it made sense to my logical brain. If, like me, you were brought up in the 20th century, you will have seen that ads were the way you got people to buy what you were selling. We've all seen the, I don't know, remember the Cadbury's ads or Nike ads or whatever it might be. It was all about taking what you had, getting the word out. Now, those kind of adverts that we saw on TV, in newspapers, magazines, maybe even in the local advertiser, mainly built brand awareness. And certainly when I talk to people like my mother and and mother-in-law, A lot of people still think that's how you should market your business. But the most effective marketing, according to Seth and many others, is more about listening to what a small, viable market needs and serving them. 
what's otherwise known as niching. <clears throat> we all identify with people like us, whatever group you might belong to. So it might be a case of people like us dress a certain way. And it doesn't matter whether your people like us is tech pioneer, blue collar worker, goth or a Kim Kardashian want wannabe. People like us behave in certain ways, have similar beliefs and buy certain things and services. And of course, as you build trust with potential buyers, you need to show them that people like them buy the kind of things you're offering. Seth also talks a lot about how you make people feel. To quote him, people don't want what you make. They want what it will do for them. They want the way it will make them feel. And again, as he says, generally, we all want to be respected, successful, independent, appropriately busy. I like that word appropriately. And maybe a little famous. Do work you're proud of and do it for people you care about. We don't necessarily care about the details. So, although there wasn't anything new as such, I found the book very easy reading and I thought Seth explained things very well. And I'm pleased I found the time to read it and would definitely recommend you do too. This next book I read, Dotcom Secrets by Russell Brunson, had been on my bookshelf a while. And I had actually started to read it before, but never managed to get more than about halfway through. Given it was highly recommended by somebody that I respect, I started again, determined to get through it this time. Now, the book is about sales funnels and value ladders. Sales funnels are the process where you take potential clients through a defined path from never, never having heard of you to becoming clients and then raving fans. People rarely buy cold, especially if your offer is a significant investment. They've got to go through the steps in the funnel before becoming a client. Or not, as the case might be, because you will lose people at different points along the way. Hence the term funnel. Now, everybody who finds out about you ultimately becomes a client. A value ladder is similar. It takes people from buying something that's small value up to your flagship offer. So it might be something that costs less than, say, £50 up to a coaching package that's, say, £2,000. And the idea being that it is easier for people to commit to a small value purchase than a large purchase. And also that the best people to sell higher value offers to are people who've bought before because they're more likely to buy from you. They already know, like and trust you. All good so far. But he loses me, and I suspect many others, as you go through the book. One of the chapters talks about the 27 elements of a funnel. That's the point where it becomes complex. And it might be deliberate, given this book is the first point in his funnel. You get some quick wins, realise there's more to it, and buy more from him. Yes, I'm cynical. <laughs> there are elements from the book that I can and should put into practice. Whether I actually do is another matter. It was definitely valuable reading, but also one for more advanced marketers. The other issue I have is that it is deliberately quite a manipulative system. And while I can see the value in implementing parts of what Russell recommends, I cannot imagine that I could do the whole thing. It's not wrong, but it 
doesn't sit right with me. It feels a little bit unethical. Interestingly, just after reading his book, I found myself in one of his funnels. It wasn't actually his. It was another coach using his software, ClickFunnels, and the approach outlined in his book or something very close to it. And it was really good to see his system in operation. So I signed up to a free offer. It was a great offer. I have no issue with the offer whatsoever. And I needed to add my credit card details to access it. It was a free offer. Again, I didn't have a massive issue with that. I was then subject to a couple of sales pages for other items. These other items were not free. And these were very long sales pages and I had to click through. The click through, of course, was at the very bottom in small print. And that irritated me. But the idea is you're more likely to add these additional items if you've already given your credit card details. For me, it felt a bit like one of those timeshare promotions from the 1980s. My parents actually made me sit through one of those. When I want to build out a funnel, however, I might go back to this book. It does have some useful things in it and there are some strategies which I could certainly see me using and which I think would be quite helpful and would sit well with me. This is definitely not a book for anyone new to digital marketing. Okay, next up was Unfiltered by Sarah Fryer. Don't know whether I said her surname correct, but after the brain gymnastics that dot-com secrets required, I needed an easier read next. I chose Unfiltered, which is the story of Instagram from pre-startup to the founders leaving. It was a fascinating and easy read and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Instagram was founded actually on a very basic idea. It was designed to be an app where you could share your life through good quality photos. Interesting, that's not what it is now, of course. And that you could connect with others who appreciated similar things. By using filters, you could elevate these photos into art. Famously, Instagram was sold to Facebook for a billion dollars. It was actually more like 700 million when the sale went through because Facebook stock was lower at close than when the offer was made. But when it was sold for 700 million, a billion dollars, it employed just 13 people and it wasn't making any revenue, let alone profit. Wow. But given the contribution to Facebook's earnings since, Facebook has done very well out of the purchase. The founders actually stayed with the business quite a while after it was acquired by Facebook and they stuck rigidly to their ideals which were all about taking the time to post the beautiful pictures. And with the growth of Snapchat and research groups that they were using, they heard that teenage girls were spending hours posting the perfect image and then dissecting the comments. And obviously, if the comments weren't quick and effusive enough, they assumed that the friend didn't like them enough. Yeah, I know. So that and the rise of Snapchat led to the introduction of stories, stories giving you the chance to post things that were not perfect. So I found that really interesting. The other introspective from the book was Facebook's fear or paranoia that Instagram was cannibalizing Facebook, that it was taking people off Facebook. Now, this wasn't just a jealousy issue. Facebook was more profitable than Instagram and therefore they wanted people to spend more time on Facebook than Instagram. 
And this led to issues over support and resources for Instagram, at least Instagram side of the story. <laughs> now, as somebody who has migrated from Facebook to Instagram, at least for business purposes, I think this is nuts. If Facebook's feed had been, or indeed still was, better, and if they shared my business posts more, chances are I wouldn't have needed to find an alternative to Facebook. I actually quite liked Facebook. There's definitely a business lesson there about concentrating on improving your own business rather than worrying about competitors. Still, it was a fascinating insight into the building of one of the most important businesses today. And I highly recommend the book if you enjoy those kind of books. The next book I read was Atomic Habits by James Clare. This is another book I had started to read before, but never managed to finish. And there are parts of this book, especially in the first half, that I found hard going. I just didn't find them relevant to me and or I couldn't see that I would put them into practice. Sometimes they were just too hard. But the second half of the book was really good and I'm pleased I persevered and I can see why this is a business classic. As the title suggests, this book is about small changes you can make which together can make a big difference to your lifestyle. It's basically about making good habits easier and bad habits harder. You know, things like laying out your gym clothes and trainers so they are the easiest things to put on in the morning. And things like hiding the biscuit tin on the top shelf so you have to get the step ladders out of the garage if you want a biscuit. Well, at least if you're five foot three like me. One of my favourite bits was about making the small, easy first steps. It's the committing to do something for two minutes which will encourage you to keep going. And something I hadn't heard before but was the best revelation of all in the book was the fact you can literally just do that just do the two minutes and this is especially the case if your mind knows that you're just trying to trick yourself into keeping going beyond those two minutes so I don't know about you but if I need to do something really difficult I say right I'm just going to do two minutes I know I'm not going to just do two minutes the whole point of saying I'm going to do two minutes is so that I actually do half an hour and so my brain knows this and I procrastinate but this book suggests that you literally just do the two minutes. So if you want to go for a run, you run for two minutes, you turn around and you walk back home. But you do that consistently. Then, after a few times, maybe allow yourself to do more if you want. So soon regular two minutes become regular five minutes, then 15, and then the 30 minutes you were aiming for. I am definitely going to try this. Although, not with running. <laughs> I've already decided I'm no runner. I know many people who have read this book several times and raved about it. I can definitely see me rereading some parts again and trying some of the ideas. <clears throat> the next book is Make Time by Jake Knapp and John Zaratsky. The Make Time is written by two ex-Google employees who pioneered Google Sprints. And it's all about how you make the time each day for the things you really want to do. It's a very natural extension of atomic habits. So those things might be business or they might be personal. They're the things that we wish we had more time for. So it might be cooking from scratch. It might be training for a marathon 
or spending time playing with your children. Or it might be writing a book, starting a podcast, or making and launching that course that you've always wanted to. There's more than 80 tips in the book. Now, not all of them will appeal. Most won't. But the idea is you try a few. Now, one of the funny things to me was, according to the authors, the average American wastes four hours each day scrolling social media, reading the news, etc. That I can believe. And then they spend a further four hours watching TV. Now, I don't watch very much TV at all. But where on earth does anybody find four hours to watch TV and four hours to scroll social media, etc. a day? I don't know. <laughs> you certainly don't have my laundry pile. But I probably do spend longer than I realise scrolling, reading the news, etc. And the authors recognise that these are easy things to do. They're from the tech industry. These apps are designed to tempt. Oh, look, another entertaining cat video. So they recommend, in a very similar way to Atomic Habits, making it more difficult to fall into these time traps. So one suggestion is deleting the apps from your phone. I'm not sure I can quite go that far. Another is to reduce the amount of news you consume. This is on the basis that if something really important happens, you'll hear about it. News is generally just doom-mongering and there's nothing you can do about it. And to be honest, reading once a week is enough to keep up with what's going on in the world. Now, I'm not sure I can go down to once a week, but I'm certainly planning to cut down on the amount of news I consume. I don't need to know what's happening six or eight times a day. And there are also suggestions in the book which are quite helpful about dealing with email and the distraction that email provides. And the idea is to allocate some of this time to a daily highlight. Some days that might be a bigger piece of work you need to dedicate focused time to, like a presentation. Other days that might be something that will improve your life. So it's spending time with friends or family, training for that marathon or launching that course. The book also talks about ways to maintain focus during that highlight time. There's a whole section on the best times of day to have coffee, as well as other ideas like playing focus music, shutting your door, wearing headphones. That's on the basis that people will be less likely to distract you. And while I can only see a couple of things I think are really worth trying, I do plan to do so. This book was a much easier read than Atomic Habits, or at least I found it was. And it's much more practical too. Best of all, it just cost me 99p for the ebook in the Apple Store. The final book I read was Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed. I'd not actually come across this book before. I'm sure it's been in bookshops and I'm sure I have seen it, but I, I didn't recall it. And I read it because I asked for recommendations for books to read on LinkedIn. And this one was highly recommended by two ex-colleagues. Now, as a Northern, state school educated female who did not go to Oxbridge, but worked in the city, I've always been a fan of diverse groups. Not just demographically, but in terms of background and experiences. I can see how different viewpoints can be helpful to solve complex issues. And in fact, I had my own experience of this. I remember when I did work in the city and I was really quite junior, a client had a, a big issue that they wanted our help with. And they called my boss in. My boss 
worked a lot with this client as well. And he called in the big guns from the bank. So we had our, our chairman and our vice chairman and a whole load of senior people from, a, from another team. And I went to a meeting and I was the most junior person in the room. There were about eight of us. I was the only female. And I remember uh, Sir David Challen, the chairman at the time, he turned to me and he said, I'm really pleased that you are here and in this group. He said, I always like to have at least one woman in my team because you often think of things differently and have a different perspective to the men in the room. And I really value your opinion and please speak up. Now, that meant a whole lot to me. And that was, I don't know, more than 20 years ago. So I still remember it. And it's a bit like a quiz team that's full of history buffs when nobody has a clue on the sport or music rounds. 1980s pop is about my only contribution to a quiz team. You're much better off with people with different areas of expertise. I found the book incredibly interesting. It was not always the easiest of reads. Some of the stories were quite long and quite complex, but they were also fascinating. You know, things like, could the CIA have prevented 9-11 if they had recruited more Muslims rather than recruiting purely based on intellect or fit? And the key issue of having teams with similar backgrounds and experience is not the level of individual intellect, but group think. And potentially worse, thinking this is a good thing. There are some interesting statistics about the performance of teams with similar backgrounds and experience compared to cognitively diverse teams. I actually wished that I had read it during my city career. I think I could have articulated the problem of recruiting mainly highly numerate males much better if I had. They were all brilliant on their own, but when you have 20 of them together, you don't get that diverse and different opinions coming through. There was also a section in the book on the issue of hierarchies and the problem when you have a dominant leader who discourages new ideas, different viewpoints and others pointing out the flaws in their plan. Yes, I think we've probably all worked for a boss like that. And from some of the stories in the book, people die as a result of this. Having a diverse team is not enough in itself. You have to listen to the voices. There are some fascinating ideas about the value of exchanging ideas through networking or at least being social in the book. And it's through discussions with others, people who have different backgrounds, experiences, ideas, that progress is made. And it's not just a case of two heads being better than one but sometimes that several heads might be better than the sum of the parts. Now, given what I do and the fact I work on my own, it's hard to see how this book will change how I operate now, apart from encouraging me to network or socialise more. I just don't have the teams of people working for me. But intellectually, I found it one of the most interesting books I've read, albeit, as I said, not always the easiest of reads, as some of the stories are quite long and complex. So to conclude, I enjoyed reading these six books during August. And whilst I'd love to read more books going forward, I know I won't keep up this kind of a pace. None of the books I read were a waste of time. I got something out of all of them. My favourite was probably the story of Instagram unfiltered. It was a very easy and interesting read, and I knew only snippets of the story. I also really enjoyed Rebel Ideas, it's a book I think everyone should read. 
I suspect the books that will have the greatest impact on my day-to-day business is Making Time, with Atomic Habits having some impact too. And you never know, if I make some of that time, I might dedicate it to reading more books. I'd love to know what business books you recommend, which ones have really made an impact on you. So I often talk about this on my podcast, but also please do send me a message on Instagram. I'm at beyondthekt or send me an email. Say hello at beyondthekitchentable.co.uk. And if I read your book, I'll give you a shout out next time too. That's it for this week. Have a great week and see you next week. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow or subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. And I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review. That makes a massive difference as to whether Apple shows my podcasts more widely. And head over to my website, beyondthekitchentable.co.uk, where you can find all the ways you can work with me, whether you're just starting out, looking to grow your business or scaling it. And see you next week.